Hey everybody, it's the Cannon Cruisers. I'm Randy. And I'm JD. And this is another exciting edition of the non-canonical adventures of JD and Randy. This week we're doing part two of our season seven wrap-up, mm -hmm. this time focusing on our non-canonical adventures. Yep, because this season we covered more non-canons than we did canons, so we figured we might as well split it up into two different episodes to get uh, it all portioned par out properly. So before we begin with Season 7 proper, let's cover the little mini-series we had prior to the beginning of the season. Yeah, we did four episodes focusing on, because for the season before we didn't cover this director, of John Carpenter movies. So we wanted to make up for missing one. So we covered four films, starting with 1976's Assault on Precinct 13, which is his first theatrical film. So, if I recall correctly, uh, this is probably one of his best movies. <laughs> yes, uh, this is one of his best films. It's basically a modern western, only in an urban environment, and also has elements of... The zombie film. Of horror zombie films. And um, this movie is surprisingly well-paced for the time period it came out, and it was very easy to tell that he would go on to become what he did become. And with that, it's like I realized we probably just the only one we've really missed for this period would be Dark Star. Yeah, that, that was. But that's a little bit earlier. That was kind this. of a college film, later blown up sort of thing. This was his first like studio thing, even though it was a low budget thing. Um, not his first major studio one. That would be a little later. We already covered that one. But ah, uh, yeah, it's like when we said that this is probably his best film. It's one of them for or sure. Or one of his, definitely one of them. It's that up to this point, even of all the carpenters we had seen prior to this, mm. in the mouth of madness. Um, what else? Which ones? The Halloween. H Halloween and Big Trouble in Little, Little China. I can never remember. They Live is his too, right? They Live. Yeah, as they well. Live, yeah. That this is the, out of those ones we've seen, those Escape, were the best ones. Escape from New York as well. Oh right, that one's really good too. Like I said, there was a lot of really good ones, and this one's definitely up there with the best of them. Which like I said was kind of surprising when you realize when the movie was made. But it like I said, it holds it incredibly well for its time. I don't think my opinion on that's going to change anytime soon. It's like, uh, since we've watched that every once in a while, it just pops in my head saying, I should rewatch that film. Yeah, that was a great one. Uh, and the next one was kind of a weird one. We covered Christine from 1983. Oh, uh, this is... That's the car movie. I know, no, I know, I know the car movie, but it's like, this is the one that had the weird naming convention. I think it was like, John Carpenter presents Stephen King's Christine, and yeah. then it got shortened to John Carpenter's Christine, and then it got shortened to just Christine because nobody liked the movie that was working on it or something. Yeah, this is a movie that is simultaneously, in my mind at least, both underrated and overrated for what it is. It has a really cool section where the car uh, some good comes back together after being exploded. I mean, there's some really good shots and sequences in this movie. Uh, at the same point, there's some kind of dumb ones. like Shitters! <laughs> like that. And the guy getting killed by getting squeezed by the seatbelt. Which is like, okay. But like, like I said, it's... It's a fine enough movie. It's definitely like the not terrible, but it's not great either. I wouldn't put it in the upper. But it is movies. does have some really good moments. Oh yeah, that that for a John Carpenter movie, you always find some pretty good moments. Yeah, and he managed to cancel a bit of the Stephen King stuff that uh, I don't care about that much, which is nice. Yeah, there was no pedophilia or cocaine to be found in the entire film. Yeah, or random twists that had nothing to the story, or random incest. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like I said, it's okay. It's or pretty, somebody eating their arm. It's pretty good. Like I said, I just would not say it's the upper echelon of his films. I would say the same thing about the next movie, too, which was 
1984's Starman. But this is arguably one of his most interesting films because of it being such an outlier to his general uh, output. It's, it's an interesting movie. It's just not... One of his slowest. It's just not a great movie. It's a good movie. It's just not a great movie. Though it is a movie that I do recommend to people to say, you want to see something unusual, watch it's, John Carpenter's Starman. It's Star definitely Man. different from him, and it's not really that common for like a 1984 movie. And the practical effects on that, Jeff Bridges as a bird-like <laughs> human being... To I'm die for. To die for. I'm kidding. It's not actual practical effects. It's actually Jeff Bridges doing something that actors don't do a lot in the 80s, which is actually act. <laughs> they don't do that now. Uh, yeah. And then we covered, well, probably my least favorite one we've but covered. But the one that comes up in conversation the most often is Prince of Darkness from 1987. Yeah. It's, this is one of those weird movies, which I will sometimes wake up and the shot of her entering the mirror mm. and breaking out afterwards just will come to me because it's such a yeah. unusual sequence, a beautifully shot sequence, a creepy sequence, that darkness. I would actually put this in like Christine category of there's a lot of really cool shots and ideas in this movie. It's better than Christine. Christine holds together as a story. This doesn't. There's no real story. It's just scene after scene and things. I, I think there's too much story that makes it confusing. Not even just that. There's scenes of people standing around not doing anything or doing weird things without any explanation for why they're oh, doing Oh, 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 JD. We didn't watch Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. We watched Prince of Darkness. Exactly. There's nothing really happens that's... Or there's a really convoluted explanation. There's an incredibly convoluted explanation. That if you think about it for five seconds, like, wait a second, what? And that's... Quantum physics plus the devil, JD. That's the answer to everything. Remember when Alice Cooper was in it and killed somebody because he did it on a stage show, even though it had nothing to do with the story, the plot, or the scene? Well, he was some sort of weird zombie-like thrall creature and then he at that point. And then he disappeared from the film entirely. But, he finished know, his cameo. Alice Cooper, I mean... He finished his cameo. And then he did the music, I think. That's just, like I said, this movie is probably my least favorite one I've watched. I said there's cool shots, cool ideas, but as an entire film, I, it does not come together to me at all. So that's four films. So the reason why we're going through these so fast is that we're up to film four, and we still haven't officially got to season seven. No. So we might as well just jump straight into season seven, which was The Running Man, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Which is Smash TV the movie, if you know what Smash TV is. This is the, one of the best video game adaptations of the <laughs> 80s without actually giving credit to it. Yeah, like I said, the video game would become would be inspired on this, and so would a lot of other things, which is the whole uh, game show, but it's actually a super realistic like uh, horror movie. Dystopia, you know, cyberpunk. There's a whole bunch of in inspirations for this, and it got inspired by it. This is another movie that gets people will know simply through pop cultural osmosis or if they played smash tv or super smash tv or a whole bunch of things it's like it's it's highly it's also stephen king again with this one again loosely based loosely and, it, based. and it doesn't have uh him crashing a plane into the twin towers actually i think i may have made that up at the time but i can't remember what's real and what's not anymore <laughs> this is not reality well, just pretend that's happened because why not but yeah, this movie like it was a fun movie. It's a good action movie, and it's, it's one of the more underrated Schwarzenegger. Like this is Schwarzenegger before he got into his groove. This is Schwarzenegger pre pre Commando. Uh, I think it's just after it, literally just after it. Yeah, so it's it's not some. It's more of an odd man out where it's not 
all quippy one-liners, even though there's a ton of quippy one-liners, but it's not mm, the kind of... Arnold that we've become to know and love. Yeah, it's also kind of the point of the movie to have uh, one-liners like that. But like I said, that's a good one too. And then we went, we kind of went a little curveball in this one. We we covered 1986's Rad. Okay, I remember this movie, but I have a dumb question: Is this the one with Nicole Kidman or the criminal Lori Loughlin? This one has Lori Loughlin. Okay, as okay. The, I, as the uh, love interest. Uh, the this, other one's Dirt Bike Bandit, I believe, which we haven't covered yet. BMX Bandit. BMX Bandit. Thank but you. yes, this this one was one that was recently re-released, and everybody was going on about it, and I just said. I it wasn't s- a vinegar syndrome, though. We thought it was, but it wasn't. No, but this was one where, like, okay, I don't think I've ever seen this one, so let's watch it. And Meanwhile, it, it's something that I had seen, but I'm like, okay, yeah, let's rewatch it. But I was pleasantly surprised with it. Like, the movie itself, if you know sports movies, you know the general plot, all the twists and all that. But it was executed in a way that made it enjoyable. There was also something happening. The stunts were really cool, and the music was good, and, well, it was just enjoyable. Of all the, those types of sports movies, I would definitely put this one near the, the, the top. So that brings us to six non-canon movies total so far. Mm-hmm. And the next one is one of Randy's is, is, favorites. Is, is our summer special? Is it the beginning of the no. summer special or the ending first, of the yeah. First, so, we covered 1992's Sidekicks. Because we had covered so much mm-hmm. Chuck Norris. Oh, we did. But we wanted this one simply because, well, for multiple reasons, including the fact that I guess until recently it has never been available anywhere because the rights issues on this one are really weird. Although it just apparently recently came to streaming finally. No, we, we had rented it. I think this one here was actually right. we had it, rented it. And yeah. it recently just come to streaming when nobody could figure out the rights or how to get it or anything like that. So we watched it and it turned out to be... Uh, a weird little uh, family movie for Chuck for Chuck Norris, but at the same time, it was kind of a love letter to his old uh, action movies because you could see a lot of references to the stuff he did, including to one we covered this season, which was the, the Hitman. Hitman. Literally, and I'm pretty sure one of the scenes was re- directly referencing it because there's a scene where he blows a guy's leg off with a shotgun in that movie. And this one, they're on stilts, and he shoots him in the stilt, and he knocks him yeah, off. Yeah, but his, they're, it's the outfit. <laughs> it's the, yeah, but it's like a direct reference. It's stuff like that. Which is a cute little movie, and I thought it was definitely worth seeing again. I really enjoyed that one. And this is where I should just reiterate that we're not telling you what we rated it. We're just doing a quick rundown because there are too many movies. There are. And now we're getting to the meat of it, which was our summer special, where we decided, why don't we cover movies that we either saw as kids or we would have watched as kids, but that are kind of summer themed. Because yeah, there was 104 days of summer vacation and, we, and it never ended. Because, so, this summer special, JD, ran from mm-hmm. June 6th mm-hmm. through, uh, what do you have listed here as the last one? Heat. For the summer special was he? He was the last one. Yeah, so that ran from June 2nd to September 5th. Yep, that's almost entirely over summer. because, Like I said, 104 days of summer vacation. Why not? Let's try something different. And we had a whole bunch of movies we wanted to cover, wanted an excuse to cover them, so we, we did it. Camp Nowhere. Christopher Lloyd in Camp Nowhere. I... I guess this might be the closest thing I have to a guilty pleasure. I hadn't Party s- at Ground Zero. I hadn't seen this movie since it came out, and I'm almost certain I saw it in the theater when it came out. But I remembered almost everything about the movie. I think I watched it at a birthday party. I think it might have been my own birthday party. It's just that to me, like it came out in 1994, but for some reason, it just to me epitomizes the early 90s. Like every single thing about it is so. I just say it, JD. Early Party at Ground yeah. Zero. 
But everything about it is so early 90s, and it's just, like, a lot of fun to watch. Did somebody say early 90s? Because the next episode was 1992's Three Ninjas. Which is, like I said, another one of those films. But this time, we actually actually went out of our way to watch the international version instead of the only version we've had over here since it came out, which was the Disney version. And um, the international version's better. Rocky, (laughs) Colt, and Tum Tum? This was clearly, as I said, edited down, and you could tell. This was, like I said, the PG-13 era, where all of a sudden everything had to be really, really low down so kids could go see it and buy merchandise. Even a movie like this, which didn't need that, had This was that. the 90s ninja craze, but instead of it being aimed at, at uh, old men, it was aimed at children. Yeah. Thank you, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, and like I said, the, movie's, is, the movie was fun. It was, like I said, not perfect or anything, but... It's a completely enjoyable romp for what it is. And I said the, the international version is definitely better because it doesn't have weird... Have sound weird, effects? Not just the weird sound effects, but like the weird turn where the bullies just disappear halfway through the movie. And then you realize, oh, they weren't supposed to do that. And, and, then, that, and that weird Kevin Smith guy trying to do an impression of Keanu Reeves. And there was the also part where the end where they're suddenly trusting of their grandfather again. But they cut the scene where they had the reason to trust him again. Just stuff like that. <laughs> but, like I said, it's a lot of fun to watch that one. And then we did kind of a, I guess, a little bit of a curveball. which I was, love you. Uh, no, I hate you. I love you. With which, the big green. Which was the big green from 1995. Um, I, I want to... I, I love you. That's not this movie, though. Is it? No, that's not this movie. The what big green is the soccer Oh, right. Movie. Oh, right. I, for some reason, I mixed them up. This is the one with the redhead kid. Yes, this movie, I, I always liked this movie, and one of the reasons I wanted to watch again, because uh, this came out during the whole Mighty Ducks thing, which was the whole This wacky, had the goat, right? Yeah, the okay. whole wacky kids sports movies, and this one was even advertised as it. But when you watch the movie, it's not really like that. It's uh, it's more uh, down to earth, just with some spikes of craziness, because it's a kid movie. But um, it's like a, oh, you mean the hallucinations? Yeah, but he's like, very obviously having a psychotic break. But it's a fun little like small town movie of a bunch of kids getting together. It's like I said, it's it's a good movie. It's a good summer movie. I'm glad we got to watch that one again. No, JD, this is where the curveball actually comes in because we were doing family movies until we got to Savage Steve Holland's Better Off Ted, which is more of a uh, wintertime, not teen, more of a teen movie. Yeah, but it's very much not... Darkly nihilistic. (laughs) It's not really a winter movie, though. It has the setting around Thanksgiving Christmas. Yeah, but it's not really the type of movie that you would watch around then. It's like this feels more of a summer thing. Mostly because the whole movie takes place over a school year. But it's a a fun little movie about uh, a guy who's comically... I want to say it's basically just like the high school experience, only he pushed it just cartoony enough to make it weird. This is what I wrote when I uploaded it for the podcast, and it very much stands now. Mm-hmm. Things take a dark turn when Randy tries to kill himself because JD won't leave him alone about $2 that he is owed. <laughs> like I said, he basically takes things, you know, like the newspaper boy wanting money, and just like turns it just a little bit to where it gets weird and crazy. And, and what JD didn't want to say, but uh, John Cusack's in this movie, and he's comically depressed. Yes, that's what I mean. It's like he's... He's got teenage worries. He's a normal teenager, but it's just And enough. he tries to kill himself multiple times. Yes, because he's taking these stupid things that are happening to him way too seriously that he shouldn't. And he can't even do that, right? Because he's a teenager and teenagers screw up all the time. As There's a lot of that in the movie, which makes it a really interesting watch. Uh, unlike, I would say, the next movie, which... Which uh, has a great title, 
but it's basically working girl for teens. Yeah. Don't tell oh, mom. The, baby the babysitter's dead. From 1991. This one, well, I wanted, we, I think we might have watched this with Better Off Dead. We kind of wanted to watch movies that were kind of a little bit more, you know, different maybe for a little older audiences. And this movie could have gone about, I don't know, three or four different ways and it kind of went the less interesting one. I just told you, it's working girl for teens. Once we knew that's the direction the movie was going, and we're just like, oh, okay, I guess. It's like there's several characters they could have just combined together by several characters. I mean, children. They could have combined just together to be into one being. Because they don't have and, a reason to yeah, be. Yeah, they're just there because, oh, <laughs> it's funny because they're a big family of kids, and they kill the babysitter. The thing is, like, it's a good setup, and you could have gone into different di- bunch of different ones. I think we even talked about in the episode yeah. of ways you could have done but it. But ultimately, it was working girl for teens. They just basically picked the most boring way to do it. And like I said, the film isn't like bad or anything. It's fine. It's just... Watching it was just, eh, I couldn't imagine something better than what we got. Which is like. But there is a worse movie that would later go on to shadow every single thing we talked about afterwards, mm. but not the next movie. No, the next movie we covered was The Lost Boys from 1987. This is definitely a summer movie for sure. This one takes place uh, at uh, California during the summer vacation when kids are just moving in to the new town and found out it's ruled by vampires. And uh, this movie has got a stacked cast, if I remember correctly. A lot of people were in this one back in 87. Yeah, honestly, I only wrote well, our summer staycation continues. Uh, so I didn't actually write anything <laughs> about it. Yeah. But, but yeah, it has... Uh, not Kurt Russell. What, what the Kurt name? Russell. <laughs> now that would have been a movie. That would have been a weird movie. Um, Not Kurt Cobain. What the hell is his name? Corey Haim. No, I'm not trying to remember him. I'm trying to remember the lead va- uh, vampire. The, the one that, you know, Solid Kiefer Snake. Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland, thank you. You like how I had to work around? It's like, you know, Suther- Solid Kiefer, Snake. Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland. And Alex Winter. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people. And Corey movie. Haim. Corey Haim, Corey Feldman. There's a bunch of people in this movie from that time. Um, and like I said, this was, I want to say, I don't know if that's the case. Though. It might have been Joel Schumacher's most popular movie at that point. I don't know. Uh, yes, it was. it was directed by Joel Schumacher. Does it, but probably his best one. And it definitely holds up today. Like, the effects are really good. The atmosphere is very And honestly, solid. you could retitle this movie and give away the ending a little bit, but it's uh, Vampires Need Moms. <laughs> yeah, The Lost Boys kind of gives that away a little bit, but not really because it, it makes sense with the theme of the movie. That's it. It's a good one. And then we covered Heavyweights from 1995. This is the one that I was I got mixed up with the big green. Lars, I hate you, I love you. Yeah, we wanted to obviously do a camp movie because we would have watched camp movies. Not even just a camp movie, a camp movie. A camp movie, yes. It's both campy and camp. Especially because of Ben Stiller, who is probably the highlight of the movie. This was probably, like I said, the one role that really broke him out into the mainstream because of his performance in this, because he would go on to do a lot of things uh, after this, including a, a role very similar to this in Dodgeball, which... I think I might like that movie better, but... What, Dodgeball? Yeah. Okay. Dodgeball is a timeless movie. I don't (laughs) care what people say. It is a timeless Vince Vaughn, Ben Stiller film. Mm. So many great lines are taken out of that. Mm. Uh, It's up there with the first Anchorman. With that said, we're going back to our actual non-canon movies. Yeah, listen, Heavyweights is pretty good for what it is, and especially when you take into account the amount of people in it, again, who would do other things, and especially the weird, like we talked about it, like production thing behind who they cast and why they cast them. That was really strange, like learning they wouldn't let Goldberg come back for Mighty Ducks 3 if he didn't come into this movie, which is really weird, but things like yeah. that. Yeah. Like it's kind of a weird production issue, but it's, a, it's fine for what it is. 
And then we did another uh, curveball with 1988's Remote Control. This was the weirder of the movies. This one uh, I, f I found um, on Blu-ray because the, the director put it out himself. He re-released it. I managed to get a hold of a copy, so I figured, let's cover this movie. And this is kind of a throwback to like the era it was made in 1980s rental shops uh b-movies uh kind of i guess um invasion of the body snatchers type of horror thing vhs doesn't kill people people kill people yeah it's a weird little uh weird little film um it's not like a, like a big movie or anything like that it has a dylan in there but not the one that you think no it's not him but it's fine for what it is again uh and then we covered what is probably Though okay, so this is the movie that we that replaced mm. the apple in our vernacular as bad movie. It can't be any worse than Space Camp from 1986. This movie was so disappointing when we watched it. I think it killed our move our mood for the whole day because this is a movie when you look at the setup, you look at the cast, uh, you look at the time it came out, you think. How could you possibly miss with this? This movie was basically, I was going to buy this one here or uh, Solar Babies, and I chose to buy this one. And that is a purchase I regret, though it probably gave some of our best content in a while because of how angry and how disappointed JD and I were Which in is... that episode. Go back to that episode if you want to see two grown men have a breakdown about a terrible, <laughs> awful movie. Which is funny considering Randy hates Solar Babies too, so that was... Because Randy hates solar babies. Even though I don't remember if I've actually seen it. We actually, it might be a meme at this point, just that I hate solar babies, which but is, I don't remember. Which is funny because I'm pretty sure we watched uh, the trailer for it on here. Yes. Which is saying something. But yeah, so the, by far the worst part about Space Camp is there's a robot that screws everything up, and then the robot just runs away. And then you never see it, and you're like, what the hell, man? What the hell? And then there's the John Williams score, which is so underused and out of place when it is used that you might as well not even have contributed just go back and watch the listen to yeah. the episode it's, randy got uh, really upset about this it, movie. it was it was well probably the biggest, biggest disappointment we watched on here but then thankfully we watched uh, 1985's pray for death which was a show kosugi ninja movie ah, and i was glad to watch that one. Oh god i i, I think <laughs> we watched um Space Camp and Pray for Death on the same day just because of how angry we were and we wanted to watch something die. Yeah, and then like uh, even Randy's... And it was like, the international version, I believe. Yeah, and Randy, even Randy's mood during that one was soured a bit. But like I said, you were expecting a Shokosuke Ninja movie and you got it. It could have been put out by canon. It's definitely like it's a good watch, a lot of action sequences. And if you've never seen it and you like Shokosuke movies or, or ninja movies or 80s action movies, definitely find that one. It's a lot of fun to watch. And then this we, brings us to we watched <laughs> Christian Slater, yeah, 1988's neo noir classic, Gleaming the Cube. <laughs> <laughs> you left out the part that said neo noir detective film, <sighs> which it isn't in any in any way, shape, or form. Oh, Wikipedia always Gleam change. Gleaming the Cube is such a weird but fun movie. That it's just so bizarre and strange that you can't help but enjoy watching. It could have been a better movie. It could have been a better movie, but what we got was still a lot of fun. Because they didn't lean into either of the thing. The skateboarding disappeared for a large part of the movie, and which is why I think they confusingly labeled it as a neo-noir. It's not. A neo -noir. It's not a neo-noir. No, it's just an 80s sports movie 
not sports movie, an 80s thriller of age type thriller with skateboarding in it. And that whole final half hour sequence with like Tony Hawk driving the pizza car and all that. Oh my, that is amazing. Yep, JD. Pizza Hut, Tony Hawk, skateboards, neo noir, Christian Slater. Yeah. We it, watched Gleam in the Cube. The thing with Gleam in the Cube is there isn't another movie like it. So that it definitely means if. You haven't seen it. You should probably see because it it's it's something. It's something. Oh boy, is it something! So is the next movie too, which is 1986's The Manhattan Project. The biggest surprise of all our non-canon uh, movies we watched. Randy was so trepidatious about watching this movie. I bought this in the same sale where I bought uh, Space Camp. Yeah. When I could have bought Solar Babies. Um, yeah, because after we saw that one, Randy was literally the whole time going, this is going to be just as bad, and then it's going to be just as bad. I know what I know. There's a reason why this one's forgotten. <laughs> That's like, oh, no, this and movie's actually really good, and man, the main character's a piece of shit. It's a surprisingly good movie um, about... This one actually is like a coming-of-age movie where the main character who isn't a good person and literally is punished for it throughout the whole movie until the end of the movie where he's made to do the right thing. By everybody else, and that and in sequence where they're trying to disarm the bomb is really really tense. Really yes, well done. yeah, that whole entire like what is it? Last fifteen minutes, last ten minutes of that movie with John Lithgow and mm. the main character kid, and he's like, "I'm not getting out of here. I'm not. It's like I'm I'm dead. They're, either way, they they're gonna kill me." It's kind of actually kind of like the thing with the the whole tense thing, nobody trusting each other, snapping at everybody. Yeah, but this movie ends basically with the sequence from the Breakfast Club with him shooting his fist in the air because everybody comes to protest. Yeah, the townspeople show up and uh, to save them at the end. It's a really good one. It's a kind of it's under the radar. Didn't do well, but I would definitely suggest watching it if you can. It's a, it's really good. And I would have said that this was my Randy's uh, pick of the uh, season for the non-canon, but there's one later on in the season that actually there's two of them later on in the season that go <laughs> for that title. Yeah, the next one though is 1993's <laughs> Surf Ninjas, which was. Such, Canon for kids. It's such a weird movie because we watched this one, and I I haven't seen this one again since it probably came out. And I remember almost every single same thing here. Movie. But like I said, this is another one of them that I would jokingly refer to as Canon for Kids, which encomp- this encompasses movie, this movie. This movie was so hated back in the yeah, day. Yeah, I, don't I remember. Know why. It's just not a bad movie. It's not but, a great movie. But then when we watched them, like the whole time, we're wondering why was this that hated? This is so goofy and silly. But it's. It was all. It's called Surf Ninjas. Rob Schneider. But it's called Surf Ninjas. What do you expect the great movie called? It is what it is. It is very fun to watch. It's goofy. It's silly, but it works. And then this brings us to probably the best film we might have ever covered on here. No, that's hard because there's another really great film that we covered literally right after this movie. Mm, but so this one specifically, Michael is... Mann's 1995 Heat. 1995's Heat. We I wanted to cover this one specifically because Randy had never seen it. Uh, this is another one I know by pop cultural osmosis. I wanted to see it again, and we needed an excuse. And oh, there's no excuse to this, not watch Heat. This is a movie that pretty much takes place in the summer and is about heat. So why not? Let's let's use that as an excuse to and watch. And that it. was the ending of our summer special. But yeah, this movie yeah. is it's like there's a reason why this is considered a classic. There's a mm. reason why people will go to bat to it uh, consistently. The ending. The all the action sequences, all the storytelling. This is a phenomenal film. Yep. and It's three hours long and it doesn't even feel like it. And because we watched the next movie, it's this would have been my pick, but um, oh, yeah. the next movie 
Tombstone from 1993, 1993 when we got back into the actual swing of things with canon, mm-hmm. uh, the non-canon canon season, yeah. it's that Tombstone is Durandy's pick of the uh, non-canon film. Tombstone's definitely up there with Heat. I had never best. seen it, and I just one enjoyed the, it so much, and I just the, think about it all the time. Yeah, one of the best movies of the 90s for sure. Definitely, I'd say the best Western. And yes, I would put it over Unforgiven before anybody else says anything. This movie is just as nails every single thing you want to see in a Western, everything you want to see in an action movie, everything you just want to see in a movie, period. It has it. And it does it so well. And especially the performances, and especially Val Kilmer's performance. In both movies, actually, we could say. Yeah, that. because Val Kilmer's in both movies. He was in both of them. He was great in both. And it's phenomenal in both movies, but especially in Tombstone. Oh, yeah. His Doc Holliday in Tombstone is probably one of the best characters. Yes, it actors. is one of the best characters. Period in '90s cinema. That was a fan. It was a fantastic movie, and I'm glad we decided to watch that because the next thing we watched was our Halloween special because we want to do something weird for Halloween because we'd like to try different different things, and I do want to do another bunch of slasher movies again. So we chose the two Guyver movies that were released over here, one starring Mark Hamill. Yeah, they're very, very strange films. In that the they're two, they're the same concept, but each movie is completely different from the other one. Yeah, nineteen ninety one is the Giver, mm. where top billing goes to Mark Hamill, but the main character is actually the damsel in distress. That's a weird movie. Um, that yeah. movie, that movie is basically uh, like Power Rangers type of tokusatsu only. It's it's another movie that's trying to take advantage of the indie hitness of uh, Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it was, and like I said, this was before Power Rangers really made any impact here, so I don't think anybody really knew what to make of it, but the second movie, which was Dark Hero, came out like three Rated years R, later. Rated R, yeah, 94, straight to video. Tried to lean more into the horror aspects of the original franchise. Which kind of whiffed it a little bit more. Uh, not as fun as the first movie. A little bit slower, better action sequences. Well, that's the thing with the two movies is they both have weaknesses the other one doesn't have and they have strengths the other one has. So watching them together was a really weird experience. But I'm glad we did watch them because they were definitely different than the usual fare we would have watched for this sort of thing. And I would say if you do like like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles type movies from that time period, you might enjoy watching them. Because like I said, they're um, very much of their time, but there's not a whole lot else like them from that era either. So it's definitely worth checking out. And we also had another special after this one. Because the week prior to our release of this one, this one came out hot, mm-hmm. was the, what was it, the the uh, past from the future or whatever you want to call it. Oh, it's yeah. it's uh, the 2021 release of the 1984 found classic New York Ninja. This was a real surprise. Which is probably my fourth found on the best uh, canon, non-canon films we did. This was a surprise of a movie because... Nobody ever thought this movie would ever come out because most people probably forgot it ever existed. It was announced a long time ago. There's like flyers that show the company that Vinegar Syndrome bought the the movie from was going to release it in, I think, in February of that year, but it never got finished. Never got finished. The director went off into the sunset. Everybody disappeared. Everybody disappeared off the face of the map. They had no sound. Listen to the episode. Yeah, there's a lot of good behind the scenes on that. That brings us up to about 26, 27 Mm non-canon films. Two more to go. Two yeah. more to go. But I would say, in regards to New York Ninja, if you like a- a- 80s action movies and you've never seen this it one... Is well it is well worth it. every cent. We both bought it. Yeah. We both pre-ordered it. Yeah. And to, to get all the nifty stuff from well, it. Well, that also because we thought it would make a good episode. And it did. So definitely go see that one. Watch that episode. If you Brings can. us to Walter Hill's The, the driver. driver. The Driver is actually 
a bit out of joint for the stuff we were covering this season. We were doing a little bit more, I guess, wackier stuff aside from Tombstone. It was just that we were trying to figure out where to place it, and it just kind of ended up there. Mm. The Driver is actually a neo-noir type movie, unlike uh, unlike A Gleaming the Cube. Uh, it's one of all Walter Hill's first directorial movies. Not his first, but one of his first. But it was probably one of his earliest influential ones. And it, you will see the influence on other movies of this type as well coming yeah. later. Walter Hill had, has kind of a classic vibe about him and kind of a timeless vibe because when you watch his movies, it's often hard to tell that they were made when they were. It's just a weird thing he has and I think it, it really shows in this one. And if you like uh, these types of films, especially like uh, you know heist movies, you should definitely watch this movie. And which brings us to our last non-canon film of the season number 29 or 30 that we just finished watching before we started recording this episode yeah 1982's john carpenter's the The thing which what can you say about the thing it's john carpenter at his best it's kurt russell at its best it's keith david at his best it's Ennio Marconi at his best. It's yeah, it's everybody. all downhill for all of these people after this movie. Oh, they did a lot of great stuff after this. We, we, we wanted to close the loop on John Carpenter because this was the only one that we hadn't seen from this time frame. Yeah, so like I said, we started with him and we ended with him. But we still have a couple more to go. And like I said, we'll probably cover them in the next season. But I can't wait for the Ghost of Mars episode. We've cut. Well, that's thankfully out of our range. But we've cut, we covered for this season, I just said, close to 40 movies, maybe even. For, more like 45 movies. Something like that. It was thir- th- almost 30 non-canons, like 15 canons. Something like that. It's a lot of movies. So that's why we split them up into two episodes. We'll just put them out back to back. But uh, that's it for this season. Next season, um, we, brought, we already said this in the other episode, but... We're going to continue on with our canon stuff, but we're also, again, going to have more non-canon just like this. Although we probably won't have a giant summer thing again. That was just a one-timer. Maybe we'll do it again. Who knows? But for what it was, it was fun. I'm glad we did it. And um, I guess that's it. And we're all in agreement that the best movie out of all, like that this one here, had to have been Tombstone. Yeah, Tombstone, Heat. I would put those two at the top for sure. And then New York Ninja and the biggest surprise is still obviously Manhattan Project. That was definitely a surprise, yeah. Um, and with that, well, we'll see you next time when we continue our Cruise of the Canon catalog in Season 8. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.
Human only changes life to go against the bad Protect the good To use all the strength The best you could But found these mean streets Are where the b-boys dwell And when you agitate the war man You catch hell And when you walk down the street Where the junkies hang He said death in the face Like it wasn't no thing For the life of life And then his old best friend He kept the secret straight to the end They had to get the man They cannot scapegoat The one man called evil The Petronium Joe And I was just in this Don't get me wrong To survive evil's hell You had to be strong With a I don't